Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. My name is Stephen, and I am one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, maybe you're here this morning um, at the request and the invitation of a friend. We are so glad that you are with us today. If this is your first time back in a while, maybe it's taking you a couple of weeks to kind of get into the swing and the rhythm of the new year. And so welcome back. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Science of the Soul. And what we are doing in this series is we are taking the best kind of learnings from neuroscience and using them as a lens to kind of reaffirm some of kind of the ancient Christian traditions that exist that people have been practicing for thousands of years. See, oftentimes we kind of create this artificial and inaccurate kind of dichotomy between science and faith or science and religion. And that just simply isn't true. They're not at odds with each other. In fact, they affirm and reaffirm one another. And so this series, we are doing just that, showing how we can take some new learnings, apply them to old Christian spirituality and practices to maybe kind of reclaim and to kind of find a new approach to kind of modern day Christianity. And so that's what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Week one, what we talked about is there's a way through being known by others and being known by God to better integrate all of the thoughts, feelings, sensations, bodily processes of the human mind that we kind of live out each and every day. Sometimes we live in this kind of disintegrated life, but through the process of being known by others and ultimately being known by God, those things come in line and come into harmony with one another so we can live kind of the fullest life possible. And then last week, if you were here, you remember that we talked about how we are being distracted to death by technology and through simple Christian practices that are time-tested, we can refocus our attention on God and have a deeper sense of peace and security in this life. And so this morning, we are going to look at another kind of concept that I think affirms so much of what scripture has taught and continues to teach us today. And it's this idea that our minds, our brains, are malleable. They can shape and be conformed and adjusted. Kind of the fancy term for this is neuroplasticity. Maybe you're familiar with this. Really what this is saying is that kind of the neural networks in our mind, the way that our brain talks to itself, the way that it shares and moves information throughout the, the mind, that can change and it can adapt. It can grow and regrow and find different pathways. And so we're never kind of static in what we can know. We're never static in what we can remember. And so there's always opportunity for kind of transformation within our mind and within our life. In fact, scripture talks about this. Paul writing to the Romans says this, maybe you're familiar with this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, before they had neuroscience, they recognized that there was ability to renew and ultimately transform your mind, which transforms your life. Now, one of the best ways that we can renew our mind, and I think perhaps what's behind what Paul is suggesting in this passage, is through our memory. Now, there are kind of three ways that our brain categorizes memory. But ultimately, I think we operate with an inaccurate kind of model for how our brain like records and stores memories. 
Perhaps you think of memories like a complex filing system. For some of us, we still remember filing cabinets, and we think that the brain works that way. And so all of the things that happen to us, all of the bits and pieces of information and experiences that we have all go into kind of this filing system where we store all this information. But ultimately, that's actually not how our brains and our memory works. Really, the way that our neural networks store memory is similar to if you were to imagine a big field of grass, okay? And this grass has grown up tall, maybe up to your knees. And you were to walk through that field of grass. You would start to trample on some of the grass and it would mat the grass down. But eventually that grass would kind of raise back up. But if you continue to walk over that path again and again and again, or if a bunch of people followed behind you walking over that same path of tall grass, eventually you would wear down an eventual like kind of pathway or a trail through this tall grass. Our brains work in a similar way. The more often we recall something through a specific neural pathway, the more it ingrains it and reinforces it to have a higher likelihood that we'll think about it in the same pathway again. Now, I've got to be a little careful in this series and this morning in the way that I try to introduce some of these concepts because I know that we have some medical doctors in the room and I know at least one of you is uh, like a neuroscientist uh, because we had coffee this week. And so I recognize that uh, there's probably a lot that I'm, I'm sort of getting right, but for the purposes of the sermon, this is how our memories function. Now, if you were to imagine the same path worn down through this tall grass, if other people were to come behind you, it does not prevent them from straying off the path. It just increases the likelihood that they'll follow the path that was already worn down. Our brains and our neural pathways and networks function in the exact same manner. In fact, as researchers and scientists were studying the brain and the human body, they came, one particular person came to this conclusion. And his last name was Heb, and so they have created Heb's axiom. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And what it means is simply that the more often you think of something or remember something in a certain way, the more it reinforces that same pathway so that you'll recall it in the same manner. Now, that's how our brains store memories. But there are actually different types of memories that we have. For example, we are all aware of like our immediate memories. That's like if I was to give you like a five different five digit sequence, like four, three, two, eight, nine. And I was like, what was the number that I just said? Yeah, that's immediate memory in action. Way to go. Good job. Some of you, you're like, I'm out. I don't even, I couldn't even get that. Four, three, two, eight, nine. That's our immediate memory working. That's one category. You can see how that applies in our life and the ways that you would use that. There's another category, though, that develops early, early in life, and it's called implicit memory. Now, implicit memory is kind of the experiential, physical memory that you have as you learn to do things in life. So if I were to ask you to remember that when you learned how to use utensils, my guess is you can't recall that moment in time. Or uh, when you get on a bike and it's been a minute, somehow you still remember how to ride a bike. Why? Implicit memory. Somewhere back in your brain, there are these encoded memories 
of these experiences that you've had. Now, oftentimes, these experiences are connected to emotions, but all of this that happens with implicit memory is unconscious. That means you're not aware of it. So if I was to ask you to remember, you know, learning to walk, when, tell me about the time you learned to walk. Well, you might have video that your parents have saved, or you've seen photos, and so you can identify facts about that day, but you can't remember the actual experience of learning to walk. That's because likely you learned to walk before the secondary kind of part of your memory, explicit memory, started to develop language so that you could kind of create a narrative about it. It all happened way in the past. Your body learned it. You don't know why you know it. You just know it. For those of you that are able to remember like song lyrics from like every song that was recorded during like the 70s and the 80s, this is kind of the similar function. You've learned this. You don't know how you recall it, but it just kind of comes out of you. It's this kind of non-intentional memory that just kind of bubbles up. So, so much of our motor functioning is implicit memory. But so much of our reactions to situations are implicit memory as well. That's because we have encoded a whole bunch of emotions to so many of these memories that we actually don't have access to. Now, what this means is that in our interpersonal relationships, we often have experiences that trigger memories that we respond to all happening without us being aware of it. Perhaps you've been in a situation where you come home and it's been kind of the end of a long day and your spouse gives you a certain facial expression and it just triggers something within you and you don't know why it triggers something within you, but it just does a thing inside of you and so then you react and respond to it. Or maybe you have the experience, teenagers who are here today, you know there's a look that your parents give that always means they're about to like get on to you or like say something kind of sharp and biting to you. How do we know these things? Why is this happening inside of us? It's because there are these encoded messages, memories, that are back there in our unconscious and they manifest in our lives. In fact, relational kind of therapists and researchers have identified that like 80% of emotional conflict in marriage is rooted in events previous to the couple knowing each other. 80% of emotional conflict in marriage is rooted in events that predate the couple knowing each other. In fact, a different way to say it is like there are no married people problems, there's just single people problems that people bring into their marriages. This is why that feels true, even if you've never heard this before. Because there's like this stuff, this junk that we carry into our relationships, that it's all connected to the past. The problem happens, though, is when we operate in the present moment, thinking that the problems and the issues exist in the now, when really they're connected to things long since having occurred that we still have all of this emotional like residue that lingers in our relationships. Perhaps you've had this experience where you've been really frustrated with someone in your life, or, you know, significant other, uh, a sibling, a parent, a child, it doesn't matter who it is. And maybe you've 
talked to somebody about it. Maybe you've even gone to therapy about it. And in your processing of this relational dynamic, it's reminded you of something that has been connected to your childhood. Well, the reason that you're upset with your spouse in this moment is because your mother always did the thing. And when you see that, it makes you think of your mom. And we've had this experience. This is what's going on here. We're finally getting access to these unconscious memories that are manifesting in our lives. And so you can see how easily so much of what we experience on a day-to-day basis is connected to stuff that has long since occurred. In fact, so much of our life is governed by our implicit memory that we actually make far fewer decisions than we realize. So much of our life is on autopilot. We're just repeating the same neural pathways that have previously existed. Why? Because neurons that fire together, they wire together. Now, there's one last part of memory. This is explicit memory. Now, this is contained in like two categories, factual and autobiographical. So if I were to ask you the name of your third grade teacher, some of you would be able to remember this. Or if I asked you to tell me about like the best vacation that you've ever been on, you would be able to access these memories for the most part. This is explicit memory. This is memory that we are consciously aware of. This is memory that we can go back and recall, even if sometimes it takes a little bit of work. The reason that these memories sometimes take a little bit of work is because we haven't walked that path frequently or enough or recently. But as you might recall something, it gets easier and easier and easier to remember it. This is kind of the experience you've had when you see somebody on the street or you're at a cocktail party and you're like, oh my God, why do I know them? I recognize their face. You know that you know, you just can't remember all of it. You're like, I know, who are, honey, who are they? And then they say the name, you're like, ah, yes. And it triggers that neural pathway again because there's a recognition that the memory exists. You just can't access all of it. Now, this is a lot about memory. Why are we talking about memory this morning? Because memory and the way that we harness our memories, using the language of Paul, is the way that we can renew our minds and experience transformation in our life. Now, we are not the first to talk about the importance of memory. Neuroscientists, like I said at the beginning, kind of setting up the sermon in the series, are not the first people to point out the power of harnessing our memories. In fact, if you look at Scripture, almost 200 times throughout Scripture, Authors use the word remember. 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 Why? Because it's important. Because remembering is how we transform and renew our minds in this life and experience kind of all that is available to us. So, maybe you're familiar with this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You recognize this? This is kind of a central statement of belief to the Jewish people. What they have done is created tools and devices to constantly share and to remember this belief statement. Now, this is what happens after Moses gives these words to the people of Israel. He's saying, listen, 
remember this commandment. And then he goes on to explain how they're supposed to remember this. Keep these words, remember these things, that I am commanding you today in your heart. Then develop tools of remembrance. Continue to reestablish those neural pathways. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Why? Because if you don't continually tread those same neural pathways about these key ideas and beliefs, you'll forget them. They'll stop having resonance and significance in your life. Moses goes on. When your children ask in the future, what is the meaning of the commandments that the Lord our God commanded you? Why do these matter? Why are these important? Why do we keep talking about this stuff? Question. Like, why do we have to remember this? Then you shall say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The reason that we say these things, the reason that we develop these tools to continue to remember these ideas and these beliefs is because it's connected to our past. It's connected to our shared experience. And if we don't continue to recite them, if we don't continue to remember them, we'll forget these memories. We'll lose sight of the neural pathways that allow us to access them. And something is lost when we do. When we lose sight of some of these narratives about who we are and God's relationship with us, something significant is lost. It goes on to say, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments that I am commanding you today. The natural gravitational pull is to forget God's role in our life and our role in God's story. That's the natural gravitational pull is to forget these things, to forget our central identity as people of faith. And then it goes on and it says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who blesses you so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors. Now, what Moses goes on to explain is what's going to happen. He predicts the future almost. He says, listen, you have this today. You have these, this recollection of what God has done for you and why it's important to remember God's place and God's activity in your life. But in the future, what's going to happen is you're going to forget. And you're going to get to a place where you've built up and established yourself and you're going to have wealth and land and resources and you're going to look, look back. And the story that you're going to tell isn't going to be a true story. The story that you're going to tell is, look what we did. Look at all that I've accomplished by myself. Moses says, don't do that. It's important that you remember how it actually happened. It's important that you remember God's role in all of this. Because the less likely that we are to walk down a pathway, the less frequently we revisit neural networks, the more likely these memories shift and evolve and change over time. How many all-state football players do we have here this morning? How many people who now in their telling of their high school sports careers are all-state in whatever it was that they were participating in? Isn't it funny how that changes over time? I've never seen a greater collection of athletes and scholars in one room 
than when we get together and we start telling stories about the past. Why? Because we start to remember the details a little different. And it's like, I think that game I had seven touchdowns. I think it was seven that I had. And it was like, no, you never came off the bench. You didn't have seven touchdowns. You don't even know how to spell touchdown. You didn't have seven. But this, this is what happens in our lives. The less likely we are to repeat memories, the more likely we are to lose sight of the actual details of them. And this is what happens in Scripture. And that's why Moses is like, listen, you've got to continue to tell and retell this story because it is formative in your understanding of yourself and your life and the way this is all supposed to work together. And in fact, the devices that Moses shares with the people of Israel are the same devices that neuroscientists say is the key to integrating our implicit and our explicit memories. And that's the use of personal narrative. See, humans are the only species that tell stories and that share stories. Because what stories do through the combination of the hippocampus and the amygdala is they put meaning around facts. They put meaning around events and memories. And they start to weave together these two different components and functions of our memory together. So you might be able to remember your third grade teacher or how many touchdowns you scored in the state championship game. But if I was to ask you, tell me about the most significant person in your life and what they meant to you. Tell me about the time you had a conversation that changed your life forever. Tell me about how you came to faith or how a relationship was healed because God's work in your life. Those are now totally different experiences. The way that you start to put language and words and symbols and meaning together, it starts to integrate all of these different parts. This is why our memories shape our future. Because the way that we start to remember and the meaning that we start to put around these memories starts to impact the course of our lives, who we are, the decisions we make, the relationships that we engage in, the priorities and the values that we hold. This is why the people of Israel and followers of Christ ever since tell and retell stories. Jesus, his final moments with his disciples, they're gathered around a table, and what does he say? Do these things in remembrance of me. There's something about stories and about retelling stories that are connected to meaning, that inform our identity, that's crucial that we as people of faith don't lose. Because if we forget these stories, then the conclusions that we come to is look at all that I've done. Look what I've built with my own hands. Look how great I have made my life. And that informs our decisions. That informs kind of how we navigate going forward based on a false narrative that has never been true, but we believe it to be so now. As people of faith, we're called to be different. We're called to recognize the presence and activity of God in our life and the ways that we can play a part in that as we go forward. When you look at the language of the benediction that we share every Sunday at the end of service, it reaffirms and kind of retells the same story that God has been with us, and it is God that sends us out into the world. Why? Because these stories matter, and retelling these stories reinforces it in our minds, which allows our lives to be transformed around it. And so the question to ask this morning 
And as you leave this place, is what story are you telling? What's the story that you're telling about your life, about how you've gotten here? What's the story that you're telling about your relationships? What's the story that you're telling about how hard your life is or how great your life is? How much of that is connected to these unconscious, implicit memories that have been formed by events that happened long ago? And how much of that needs to be pulled into the now, to be reclaimed in this moment, to be applied into a different context, to be fit into a larger story about what God is doing in the world and what God is doing in your life? We miss so much when we live these kind of first-person, one-dimensional stories. All of our relationships feel hard. All of the kind of the circumstances in our life feel difficult because we're reacting to things that happened long ago and we lose sight of the bigger picture. So what scripture is telling us to do, what we see time and time again is to remember a larger story in which we fit and to begin to find ourselves in that narrative. There's a kind of an an interesting observation by another neuroscientist who's also a person of faith, and his name's Kurt Thompson, and this is what he kind of says about the way that memories integrate our lives together. He says this. He says, to love God with all our mind is to engage our entire memory, not limited parts of it. To love God means not being limited to logical sequences of systematic theology. It is easy to kind of memorize facts about God. But having kind of the fullest version of life, abundant life that scripture talks about is not about how much you can hold in your brain, how much knowledge you have that you can regurgitate or spout or spew. He says, no, it's something more than that. Loving God is autobiographical. It's a story. It's a narrative. It is about remembering our past and anticipating our future. And so there are two really easy practices from kind of the history of faith that we can use to begin to integrate our memories, to begin to renew our minds. The first is reading and studying scripture. This might feel kind of cliched as this is kind of the take home from a church service, but the reason is because it's hard to see yourself in a story that you're not aware of. See, the telling of stories, the hearing of stories, shapes the way that our memories are stored and shapes the way that we access these memories. And so think about how you would look back on your life through the lens of faith versus just your own personal like self-achievement lens. Learning these stories, studying these stories, knowing these stories allows the story to become real in your life and for you to play a part in it. And then the second practice is just telling your story. For some of you, if you find yourself constantly reacting emotionally to situations in the present, that's your clue that there's stuff going on from your past that needs to be dredged out and brought to the conscious. And so the simple practice for this is, all right, write your personal narrative. If you were to start to describe your life, if you were to start to put pen to paper and write out your life story, how does it go? Are you the victim or the victor? 
What are the wrongs that have been done to you? What are the, the people in your life that have championed you along your way? How do you tell your story? Because how you tell your story tells you so much about your beliefs and about stuff that has existed in your past that is holding you back from a better future. And so when you combine these two practices together, learning the story of Scripture and having a better awareness of your own story, you're able to merge these. This allows us to renew our minds, to combine our implicit and our explicit memories, and to live a life of transformation that Paul writes about. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we would do the hard work of like starting to ask those uncomfortable questions. What is the story that I'm telling myself? Where is God in my story? If you've done all of this all on your own, I would challenge you to revisit the story, to look for ways that God has been present and to begin to tell that version of the story. Because as you begin to tell a new version of your story where God is active and present, it reinforces your ability to identify those same things in the future. It begins to help you hone in your lens of seeing where God is at work in your life and in the life of others. This is why our memories shape our future. Because how we remember things changes and evolves. That means we still have the opportunity to change our stories and to change our memories of our stories. To tell new and better and richer and deeper and fuller stories about how God is at work in our life. Which allows us to live into a totally different future that's inundated with the presence and the activity of God. That's what I want for us. I think that's what God wants for us, is to see our story with God active in every moment. Friends, let me pray for our time together. And we'll invite the band to lead us in one last song. Heavenly Father, it's in this moment that we are reminded of your presence in our life. In the good moments and in the bad, the sorrowful and the joyful, God, you have been with us every step of the way. So God, help us to lean in to your story and the way that our story is a part of the one that you have been weaving through history. God, help us to see ourselves through you. We pray this in your name. Amen.